Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are Tampa Bay or Kansas City, who will become Super Bowl 55 champions, plus expectations for Jared Goff, Matthew Stafford, and their new squads, and Is there really no defense being played in the NBA? It's episode 12 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. February, everybody, here on Thursday, February 4th, 2021. It's the newest edition of the podcast, Let Me Speak. And of course, this time of year, you can't go anywhere without talking about the big game. That's right, we're talking Super Bowl Sunday, Tampa Bay, Florida, in Raymond James Stadium at 6.30, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, right now, the over-under is at 57 and the edge goes to the Chiefs at minus three, which is very generous. I thought it'd be a lot closer than that. The over-under, I think, is such a flip of the coin. But I think this matchup is really like a 50-50. It's a pick to me, honestly, because you have two great offenses, two great teams, and both of them have the keys to win this game and hoist the Lombardi Trophy. And I'll start with Tampa. Because I think the big thing that helps is not having to travel, okay? They're playing in their home stadium in Tampa. I mean, the Chiefs are going to be arriving a day before the game. There might be a little bit of jet lag here and there, but Tampa is definitely going to benefit from not having to travel the way that Kansas City is traveling. And the offense, to me, is the big thing. They got to score at least 35 points. They got to get 35 points against this Kansas City team. We know that we've seen great offenses in the past be able to put their points up on Kansas City. We've seen that. But the question is, can this offense for Tampa do that against a defense like this? Because we know Kansas City can get those points, but can Tampa get those points? And really, it'll come down to the pass catchers. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, they need to win their matchups. They got to beat Chavarius Ward and Antonio Hamilton as their defensive backs. And then obviously the safeties will come in, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But I think the tight end matchup also is in favor of Tampa Bay. Because with Kansas City, you just have Travis Kelsey as your tight end. That's the big one. For Tampa, you got two great tight ends. Cameron Bray, Rob Gronkowski. And I think they got the advantage over all the defensive backs. And the linebackers like Harris, Hitchens, and Wilson, they have the advantage over them. And I think those two need to be heavy in the pass game. They got to be heavy in the pass game, depending on what the matchup is, because I think they have the advantage over the linebackers. They've got them over the safety. I think they win the matchup. But not only the pass game, the run game. I mean, when you've got a two headed monster with Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones, you got to use them to 
your best advantage. And you got to get it established early because we know everyone knows what Tom Brady can do when he's passing the ball. But if you give him a strong run game to back it up, he's going to be unstoppable. So this has to be established early. The run game has to be established early. Kansas City in the regular season was 21st in the league in rush defense. So it's hard for them to stop the run. So you get Leonard Fournette going. He had a great game in the previous postseason matchups for the Buccaneers against the Green Bay Packers, against Washington, against the Saints. Great games. But he's got to do it in this one. Now, speaking of early, the first quarter is absolutely huge for this team, for Tampa. And it's especially crucial for Tom Brady. Because if you look at the numbers from his past nine Super Bowl appearances, he's been outscored 24-3 to in the first quarter. And especially against this Kansas City team, you need a great start early on. You can't be playing catch-up with this team. You don't want to be playing catch-up. you got to get that lead early on. And not even the 9 nothing lead that Buffalo had two weeks ago. you got to get a two-touchdown, maybe a three-touchdown lead, three-possession lead. Because you can't do it with this Chiefs team. You can't have a slow start. Starting early, you need to set the tone overall early on. And that's what the offense will do. That's what the defense has to do. They need to keep Mahomes in the pocket. Don't let him work his magic. Don't let him do the shovel pass, all the bootlegs, all the razzle-dazzle that Patrick Mahomes can do. You keep him in the pocket and make him be a standard quarterback. Not this once-in-a-lifetime player that you're playing against. You have to make him a standardized quarterback and make him beat you with just some standard throws and those receivers with some route running for Kansas City. Now, on to that Kansas City offense. I think we know all about them, what they can do. I think Kelsey, he's got to dominate all of his matchups. I mean, you got Devin White, who's been playing phenomenal in the postseason. It feels like he's been everywhere for that Bucks defense. You also got Shaquille Barrett and Levante David as your linebackers. And then also you have your defensive backs as well, like Sean Murphy Bunting, Carlton Davis. You got the safeties, Antoine Winfield Jr. and Jordan Whitehead. I think Kelsey, I think he's got the matchup advantage as well over those guys. And I think Tyreek Hill, he can outrun anybody. You could put the best defensive back. I think Tyreek Hill can outrun him. So if he can use his speed... That will help. But you also got those other weapons as well. And I think they're going to be more crucial than ever. I mean, you have Mecole Hardman, Sammy Watkins, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Le'Veon Bell. You name it, the Chiefs have to use it. And I know that Demarcus Robinson, he's on the COVID list right now. He'll be a factor as well if he can come off that list. Now, what might not get overlooked, I mentioned it last week, was the loss of Eric Fisher. Okay, that torn Achilles, that could be huge for the offensive line. So communication is going to be huge because the Buccaneers, they're going to run a lot of defensive schemes with that D-line, with Vita Vey, with Ndamukong Sue, with JPP, Jason Pierre-Paul. So the communication with that offensive line is going to be absolutely huge to protect Mahomes. you got to be in sync because Eric Bieniemy, what he does with that Chiefs offense, phenomenal, phenomenal play calling. And it's still a shame that he hasn't been given a chance to be a head coach in this league. But that offensive line has got to be on point with each other. On point. 
because Patrick Mahomes, he's not going to be able to do everything himself. He'll try to carry it on his back, but he needs help. But from one offensive line to another, that offensive line for Tampa can't let him get to Brady. And I think the defense for the Chiefs is going to have to get after him and get him on the ground. Get a couple sacks, force him out of the pocket. I'm talking to Chris Jones and Frank Clark. You get him out of the pocket, get him unsettled, because Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, they're both great, but they have very different styles. Tom Brady, he's great when he's got the pocket and he's not forced out. Patrick Mahomes is great when he has to work in his magic because it seems like he can make any throw from anywhere. And if you can get Tom Brady unsettled in that pocket, make him to throw some bad interceptions like he did against Green Bay, then your defense will get some confidence. But along with that defense comes the safeties, Tyron Matthew and Jesse Sorensen. How active are they going to be? What kind of packages are they going to run defensively? If they're going to be more in zone coverage or if they're going to be man-to-man, maybe they'll unleash him for a couple of blitzes to get after Tom Brady. We don't know what that package is going to be like early on. I think just getting some mojo going will be absolutely huge for those safeties. But I think the rest of the game, depending on how active they are, will really tell the story on what Tom Brady will do for that Bucks team. Now, to give you a prediction, it's very tough right now for me to call. Like I said, it's basically a coin toss. I think both teams are capable to win. And all signs are really just pointing to the Chiefs. I mean, they've only lost two games in the past calendar year or so. And they've been rolling as the defending champs. But I got to say, Tampa, Florida, 10 Super Bowls for Tom Brady. I'm still picking the Chiefs. I still think the Chiefs will come away with the victory on that one. I think they're just on too much of a roll, and it's hard to stop this team if they don't have any kind of setback. They've got all their pieces there. They've got a great coach in Andy Reid. They've got the Magic Mahomes, and I think the Chiefs are going to pull this one out. But, you know, for for me personally, I don't got the Patriots in this one. I do have Tom Brady. I don't know. I'm going to be a little back and forth with him. I'd like to see some success some success but then again he left all I'm looking for is a great game and we'll find out if the Bucks or the Chiefs are going to host that Lombardi trophy this Sunday NFL news outside of the Super Bowl, we had our first big trade of the offseason, which is very soon for me to see a trade happen in the NFL offseason, but this was a big one. Obviously, it's been talked about two quarterbacks who might be having unsettled positions in their original teams, and now they get to start all new. As the former number one picks were traded for each other, the Detroit Lions trading Matthew Stafford to the Los Angeles Rams for Jared Goff, a 2021 third-round pick, and a first-round pick in 22 and 23. Now, I will say that each side has its pros and cons to this, but where these teams stand is really going to be interesting to watch in the past number of weeks. And it's this trade that is the subject, once again, of the segment we like to call Hot Takes. 
Hot, 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 hot. Now, the way I look at this for Detroit is definitely that they're rebuilding. I think they're a rebuilding franchise right now, and I think having a quarterback like Jared Goff will sort of ease into the transition into starting basically a whole new. To me, Jared Goff is just a quarterback that he had a ton of expectations. He was picked number one in 2016 by the Rams. They expected him to be the savior of the franchise and to always be in contention. And he just had those two big expectations, and he just couldn't capitalize. He only made it to one Super Bowl. He went to the playoffs, I want to say, two or three other times afterwards. But those just those expectations for him were a little bit unfair. I think he's a good quarterback, and I think he can have the, make the Lions a good team. I don't think the Lions will definitely go over the edge and get themselves into contention. But... I do like Jared Goff sort of getting a fresh start, and he doesn't have the expectations of lead us to a Super Bowl, lead us to a championship. I think that's big. But also you have to think about the pieces around Jared Goff for when it gets started. This is going to be a very important offseason for the Lions. I mean, last year they had a ton of injuries. They'll be getting them back like on the defensive end, Trey Flowers and Desmond Trufant, just to name a few. But the offseason has to be surrounded around helping get some weapons. You need solidified players that you know you can keep around for a number of years. Like some guys last year like DeAndre Swift and TJ Hawkinson on offense, I think those are some untouchable pieces right there on the offensive end. And I think just getting a couple more weapons on that offense would be absolutely huge for this team. I think re-signing Kenny Galladay is absolutely big. He's established himself to be a good receiver, if not a number one, a steady number two. I know you have Marvin Jones Jr. in your offseason as well. I don't know if you can re-sign him. I think you could get someone else maybe for a cheaper price if Marvin Jones is looking for sort of a new start or a better chance to win since he's been around long enough. But I think loading up on offense and on defense is going to be absolutely huge. You need to get some young guys, especially in the draft. You get all these picks. You get an extra pick in the third round. You got the top 10 selection. I think reloading on offense and on defense is going to be absolutely crucial for this Lions, and it's going to tell me where they're going to go in the future. I think it's still going to be a couple years till people can start taking them seriously whether they stick with Jared Goff or maybe they go for a quarterback in what's I said last week was a stacked class from trades, the draft, and free agency. We'll see if they go from there. Now on the other side for the Los Angeles Rams, initial thoughts on this trade is that they really just don't have a plan B with all these draft picks they've traded because we've seen the stat over and over and over that they haven't picked in the first round since selecting Jared Goff in 2016 they really don't have a future and we're not going to treat Matthew Stafford like he's the next Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers we're not going to do that but I think he's a good enough quarterback that can make the Rams the NFC West favorites I really think they do because I think Stafford has shown that consistency that Jared Goff hasn't and he's a much capable quarterback he's a great thrower and he's just tough as nails tough as nails so I really like Stafford surrounded with that number one 
defense from last year with Aaron Donald. You have Jalen Ramsey as your shutdown cornerback. I think maybe like one or two pieces on the defensive end here and there. I think they're going to be great. I still think they need one or two more pass catchers. I, I like what they have in the backfield with Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson Jr. I like those two at running back. I think Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, I think they're good complementary pieces. I think they're a good number two, number three. I think you still need an established number one. And then the tight end position, I'm firmly behind. I think they're solid at tight end with Tyler Higby and Andrew Everett. I think they're really good there. But I think they just need maybe one or two more pass catchers because they gave up way too much. I mean, you're looking at a win-now situation if you're the Rams. A win-now. And you really, if you're going to go for a rebuild, you can't really do that because you gave up most of your picks. So you're hoping to find those diamonds in the rough. And I don't know if the Rams are going to be able to do that. Because, yeah, they're winning, and they've got, as far as the divisional round, but you still need to take that next step. You need to get past the Buccaneers, the Packers, the Seahawks, even in your own division. I think a lot of teams are going to get better in that NFC. And I don't know. I think the win-now situation is good for the Rams. I think, like I said, they're favorites in the NFC West, and I think for good reason. I don't know if I can put them as the Super Bowl favorites coming out of the NFC. I know there are a lot of questions with Green Bay. What's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers? How many pieces are the Buccaneers going to lose? What's the Saints going to look like? I mean, I would probably put them at number two or number three right now in the NFC. I can't pick them right now to go to the Super Bowl because I think it's just too early. We haven't even had this Super Bowl this year. We haven't had Super Bowl 55 happen. So I think it's too early to say. I like the move, Matt Stafford going to a contender like the Rams because he's finally got a defense behind him. And I think he's got enough weapons that have established themselves as being reliable. That to me. I think at this moment, the Rams, they won this trade. I still, again, I think they gave up too much in terms of draft picks and that they don't have a future at this moment past, I think, 2023 was the last number one pick that they gave up to Detroit. So if this thing doesn't work out in a minimum of two or three years, then you're screwed. The Rams are screwed if they somehow take a free fall and end up less than 500 they don't make the playoffs but I don't think that's going to happen I think the Rams will make the playoffs I think the Lions still need a couple of years but it's nice to see a very active offseason before the offseason even begins Moving on to the association, we just got the release for early all-star voting in the NBA. And again, I'll say it over and over. Having an all-star game, an all-star weekend, they solidified it. I think it's a bad idea. I think it's a really bad idea, especially in this pandemic. We're still not seeing the numbers where they want to be, the amount of vaccinations and all that. But if the NBA wants to put this on, go ahead. We're not going to we're not going to stop voting. I know I'll definitely be voting, and I got some early predictions for what the lineups 
for both the East and the West should look like. And I'll start in the Eastern Conference. This is, I know voting is going to show a little bit of bias for the fan favorites and all that, but I'm just looking at who's had the best seasons so far. Who's had the best seasons, and that's where I'd put them. Now, I'm one of the guys who likes to sort of spread the wealth. I like to spread the wealth. I like to see a lot of teams represented. I don't like seeing multiple teams from the same roster making it. But I will make a couple exceptions here and there. So in the starting lineup, who I've got right now, my first that I have in the backcourt is James Harden. I mean, averaging a double-double, I mentioned over and over again that if he doesn't make any kind of sacrifice, the Nets don't have a chance. And clearly he has made that sacrifice. He's taken away part of his scoring to become more of an assist guy. I mean, he's leading the league right now at almost 11 assists per game. I think the pieces around him are definitely expanding the game. And he has made that sacrifice. So I will reward him by putting him in the backcourt of the Eastern Conference. And I'd also put Jalen Brown from the Celtics. I mean, almost 27 points a game. He's already the favorite for most improved player. You can't tell me one other guy that maybe, maybe has a chance to get in that backcourt. I mean, the Celtics are in the top five in the conference right now. And I reward winning. I reward winning. And that's why I think Jalen Brown should be in that starting lineup. I mean, he went from 20 points a game to almost 27. You can't tell me that that is deserving of a starting lineup job. I think it should. I think he should be in the backcourt with James Harden. Now, on the front court, I would put Kevin Durant from Brooklyn. I mean, I know he hasn't played in as many games, but I mean, he's averaging 31 for a Nets team that averages almost 120. And I know people say, oh, he's got Kyrie Irving and James Harden. If you're the leading scorer on that team, I think you've earned your way. I think you've earned your way. He's definitely going to win Comeback Player of the Year. And the way he's playing basically makes you forget that he tore his Achilles a year and a half ago, which is a devastating injury, but you've basically forgotten about it the way he's been playing. He's been playing out of his mind, and he's definitely Comeback Player of the Year. I don't care what happens. The other one in the front court, the Greek freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo. I mean, it's basically automatic. Two-time reigning MVP. Numbers haven't even taken a dip. Averaging 27 and 11. There's no way, and I mean no way, that he doesn't get into the starting lineup. And then at center, I'm putting Joel Embiid. I think the process, averaging that double-double, I think he's an early top three MVP candidate. I really think he is. Because when you see him on the floor, he just takes the game into his own hands. He gets down in the post, he dominates. He gets behind the three-point line, he can make those shots this year. He gets to the free-throw line as well. I mean, I like Joel Embiid. This is probably the best season of his career, and I would put him as the starting center on the East. Now, on the reserves, that's where it gets a little tricky for me because I have a lot of guys on my list that I believe should make it. And I had to narrow it down to seven. It was really tough, and I have a lot of guys on the outside looking in. But for right now, I would put Kyrie Irving from Brooklyn. I mean, 28 points a game. I know he hasn't played as many games to get himself in that league-leading category, but I think 
The fans will come around. They'll vote for him. And I think he'll start to pick up the slack from what he missed in the past couple of weeks. I would also put Jason Tatum on the on the list, making his second All-Star game. I mean, he just continues to make that jump every single year. Almost 27 points a game is counterpart with Jalen Brown. And those two both have to make it, whether it's the starting role or the reserve spot. I think they both should make it. Now, this one might be a little controversial. I put Trey Young in at guard. I mean, he's almost got a double-double with 27 points and 9 assists. But the Hawks are playing really good. The Hawks are playing good. They're in the playoff hunt right now, and I know a lot of things change day by day. But I think Trey Young, if he got voted in last year in the starting lineup, he should definitely make it this year off the bench because this Hawks team is better than the multiple years that Trey Young has been on. I mean, they're sixth in the conference right now. I know they're one game under 500, but they're playing really well. And another team that's playing well is Cleveland, and I feel like they should be represented. So I put in Andre Drummond. I put him in. I mean, come on. Almost 15 rebounds a game leading the league for a Cavs team that's finally showing glimmers of hope and success. I would put Andre Drummond. It was tough between him and Colin Sexton. It really was. But I knew with the amount of great teams there there were in this Eastern Conference, I had to give Cleveland some love. And so I put Andre Drummond because he's got the experience down low. I also wanted to give love to the Indiana Pacers. That's why I put in Demonis Sabonis to make his second All-Star team. Averaging a double-double for a team that's sitting fifth right now. They're basically tied with the Celtics. They're four games back of the 76ers. But the Pacers are just a team that continue to get overlooked. And I know it's in their market because they're in Indianapolis right in the almost the middle of the country. But I think Sabonis, he's a great low presence. He's hes a great player for that Pacers team. Definitely an untouchable. And I think he's shown himself that he's not a one-hit wonder. I think he should make his second All-Star team. Now, this one might be a little controversial, but I put Julius Randle from the New York Knicks. Because, I mean, he's having the best season of his career. Averaging a double-double. And the Knicks are contending again. The Knicks are contenders. They're one spot out of that eighth spot in the playoffs. I mean, if the postseason were to end, they'd be in the play-in game right now. Let's give the New York Knicks some love, and let's get Julius Randle in his first All-Star game. Now, there might be one player that you're thinking, wait, he's averaging a league-best 35 points a game. How come he's not in there? Don't worry, he's in there. I put Bradley Beal in there. The only reason I struggled with it is, is because the Wizards are 5-13. and 13. They're second to last in the Eastern Conference. Second to last. So I can't reward Bradley Beal with getting into the starting lineup. I know he's putting in a lot of great numbers, but the Wizards just aren't playing well. That I just can't reward it. I mean, I'd love to put him and Russell Westbrook on the team because, I mean, Russ, he's almost averaging a triple-double. But again, they're just not winning. They're 5-13 and 13 from when we record today. I can't do it. I can only give it to one, and I'd have to give it to Bradley Beal. Now, Westbrook is one of the guys that I think just missed the cut. I've got a laundry list of players from the Eastern Conference that I think should have made, that should make it and just missed the cut. I have Zach Levine. I mean, 
again, this is just the source of Chicago not playing well. They're eight and twelve. I would love to see Zach Levine. I know people argued that he should have made it last year, but I just think I think the Bulls need to win some more games because I I like to spread the load and I like to see success, which might be a little contradicting um, and an oxymoron, but. I think Zach Levine, he's a great player. Maybe in a couple more years, if the Bulls start winning some more games, we'll see him on that all-star stage. I also have Gordon Hayward, who just missed the cut. The Hornets, yeah, they're sitting eighth right now, 10 and 12, but they're just starting to really find their groove. I really think it was really a toss-up for uh, Andre Drummond and Cleveland. It was either between him or Hayward, I think, Drummond just has the numbers right now. I know the offense isn't as great in Cleveland, but I think Gordon Hayward, he could easily be first on the list in terms of replacements if a guy gets hurt. I also have Chris Middleton. I think the Bucks should be rewarded for success, but you have so many weapons in the Eastern Conference. You got the big three in Brooklyn, the two guys from the Celtics, the Pacers, the Hawks, the Sixers. I mean, if the Bucks can get themselves back to the top of the Eastern Conference, I think then you could make a consideration for Chris Middleton. You also have Nikola Vucevic from Orlando. I think same thing with Zach Levine. The Magic just aren't winning games. I would love to see two Pacers make it. I have Malcolm Brogdon just missing the cut from Indiana. I think, you know, remember, he's a former sixth man of the year. Sixth man of the year. And he's gotten himself into the starting lineup and he's taken over. One of the leading scorers right now for that Pacers team. But, I mean, Sabonis, he just has the more consistent numbers in terms of making a double-double. And then lastly, Bam Adebayo. I would love to see him. He's got he's the leading scorer right now, and I know defensively he's great, but, again, the Heat just aren't winning the game. So I would love to see a ton of guys get in, but, hey, if you're not winning and you're not scoring, then it's going to be tough to make it. But, I mean, from my list, I've got about, probably eight teams represented and you know you're either you're either spreading the wealth or you're sticking to the playoffs teams but that's what I see right now in the Eastern Conference now on the Western Conference though this one again it's really tricky right now for me because there are a lot of great players and I know the voting just came out they just had their first cuts in terms of fan voting but looking at the numbers for some of these guys it's really uh, it's it's just tough for me especially I would hate to be a voter right now but I think it's a little more condensed in the western conference than it is in the east and the way I would have my starting five right now I would put Damian Lillard obviously in point guard I mean almost 30 points a game nearly seven and a half I think the one downside is that the Blazers are only seventh in the western conference right now and they're getting outscored by almost two points in terms of their point differential. I think that's the big thing, but it's about Dame time that Damian Lillard gets himself in the starting lineup. I also have in the backcourt as his mate in the starting lineup, I put Luka Doncic. Now, I know that second spot is really iffy, is really iffy, and I know the Mavericks aren't playing well right now. They're third to last in the Western Conference but, I mean, you have the numbers that Luka's putting up, 27 a game, almost 10 assists, almost 9 rebounds. That's near triple-double. And I know it's a Russell Westbrook situation, but I think 
Luka has shown that he can make those strides to get better. And Kristaps Porzingis is back for the Mavericks. So I think the Mavericks have a better shot at getting better than the Wizards and the Russell Westbrook situation. So I got Lillard and Doncic in my backcourt. Frontcourt is pretty much a lock. LeBron James, nothing more to say for the King. I'd say right now he's the MVP favorite doing what he's doing at 36. I put him there. I put Kawhi Leonard. I mean, Kawhi, the claw. Nothing more to be said for a Clippers team that is rolling right now. Absolutely rolling. And then at the center spot, I got Nikola Jokic. I think he's an MVP candidate as well. He's putting up triple-double numbers for a Nuggets team that's getting better and better as the weeks go along. I think Nikola Jokic has shown himself to be a starter. I mean, 27 points a game, 12 rebounds a game, and over 8.5 assists. Come on, you can't tell me he doesn't deserve that spot in the starting lineup. I think not. So I'm putting the Joker in as my center. Now for the reserves, this one's a little more tight-knit. I think there are a lot more better teams that can be shown when you look at the standings in that Western Conference. I got Steph Curry, obviously. He's shown himself that he's the sharpshooter that he is. Almost 30 points a game. The one argument, the Warriors are one spot out of the 8th seed. So... That's the only argument, but I think Curry's done enough to earn himself back onto the All-Star game. I'm also giving love to Donovan Mitchell. I know some could make the argument that he should be in the starting lineup considering where the Jazz are at the top of the Western Conference with the Clippers. But I just think in terms of the numbers, I know Donovan Mitchell, he's averaging over 23 points a game. I just want to give... That's the thing for me, is that Luka's averaging the better numbers, so I put him in the lineup... But I do think Mitchell should be represented and get him on that all-star team. And I also think his teammate Rudy Gobert should be on that team. I think if you are near the top of the Eastern Conference, if you have two guys who are in the top five in any kind of statistical category when it comes to points, rebounds, assists, anything like that, you got to get them on. And Gobert, they don't call him the Stifle Tower for no reason. Give me Rudy Gobert on that West bench for the reserves. You also got to throw in Anthony Davis as well. That's almost a gimme. He continues to put up some great numbers for the Lakers. And the same thing with Paul George from the Clippers. Those two LA guys, again, I'll say it. If you are in the top of the conference and you have two guys that are among league leaders, I'd say top 10 for points and then top 5 for rebound, top 10 for rebounds, or top 10 assists, I'll put them in there. Now, this one might be a little tricky because I want to give the Phoenix Suns some love. So I put in Devin Booker, right now the leading scorer for that team. I know the Suns are sitting right now at sixth, but I think they're a really good team and they're starting to hit their stride. So I wanted to get the Suns represented. I think DeAndre Ayton, I don't think he's got those consistent numbers in terms of scoring. And I think Chris Paul, he's kind of taken a step back. But the thing with Ayton is that He is averaging 14 and 13 right now for points and rebounds. But I just think Booker, he's the scorer on that team. And you got to get the scorer on the West Reserve squad. That's how I stand. And then the last one, I got to go with CJ McCollum for that last spot. I mean, 27 points a game. He's shown himself over and over. He just continues to get better. He continues to get better, and I know it's kind of controversial having the Trailblazers have two guys when they're the seven spot right now. I mean, you got guys like 
the Nuggets, who only have one, the Grizzlies, who are sitting fifth and don't even have one. But, I mean, they don't have the numbers yet. They just don't have the numbers yet. And I think CJ's putting up enough numbers where he deserves to get on that team. I mean, he's fifth in the West right now in points per game. Fifth in the Western Conference. You tell me he can't go on the squad? I'm definitely put him in. Now, I had mentioned DeAndre Ayton. I think he's someone who just missed the cut for me. I also have DeMar DeRozan and Christian Wood, Zion, Williamson, and Brandon Ingram. I think those are guys where if the team starts to get better, then I would definitely put them on the starting list. The one guy I feel bad, though, for is Carl Anthony Towns because this guy is so good. He could be an all-star every year of his career, but his team is just continuing to be in the cellar, continuing to be in the cellar of the conference, and I wanted to put the big cat in, but I looked at the standings. I saw the Timberwolves sitting in last place right now, not only in the Western Conference, but in the in the entire league, tied there with the Detroit Pistons, but that that's how I saw it. I, saw, I wish I could have put them in, but just the team's not doing well. I think DeMar DeRozan, Christian Wood, and DeAndre, they have a better chance of making it than the other three that I mentioned, Zion, Ingram, and the Big Cat. But, you know, the results only got released after the first set of voting. Things can definitely change when it comes to round two of releasing All-Star voting. once again time to head to the region of new england and get local let's get local once again and i know we had made history last week with talking about all four new england boston slash boston teams but we're gonna only go to three because obviously a lot of people have their impressions on the super bowl and their former quarterback tom brady but we'll talk about that next week when we get to what fans think about the former Patriots team and how the Patriots maybe should think. But the big story dominating Boston is the retirement of one Dustin Pedroia. That's right. The former Red Sox second baseman announced his retirement at 37. He just had those knee issues that he could not get over. And you feel bad for the guy because I think he's one of the greatest Red Sox players of all time. I mean, he's a four-time All-Star, three-time World Series champion, four-time gold glove winner, the AL MVP in 08, the rookie of the year in 07, a career average just a shade under 300. And he's just one of those guys where it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. And and Pedroia, he just defied all logics. I mean, once he got into that championship year in 2007, fans just grew into him and loved him because... He played every game like it was his last. I mean, that quick hop, he would lay it out on the line if they were winning 16-0 or losing 16-0. That's what made him a fan favorite is that he gave it his all on every single play. There were no days off for when he was out there. And just the knee issues that he was dealing with, I, I really do think that just that slide by Manny Machado four years ago, just just ruined it all. It sent him on a downward spiral. 
And I would have loved to see him go in that sort of right off into the sunset season like Big Poppy David Ortiz did five years ago. But it was just that slide. And we all kind of knew. I think I think Red Sox fans knew that he was retired, but he wasn't officially retired. And then just him making it official will make it official. And fans can kind of live with it. And you can plan for a future without him. Now, the question that will come up for years and years until he's eligible is that, is he a Hall of Famer? Is he going to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame? I mean, personally, not speaking as a Red Sox fan, but speaking as a baseball fan, I think he does deserve to get into it. Because you've got a guy, he's basically the shortest guy. He's always going to be the shortest guy out there. And he just had the hardest uppercut swing that I remember. It's similar to what I said about giving it all. That swing made you think that he was swinging for the fences every single time. And the se- he's a second baseman. If he can pull off the numbers that he had getting the MVP, you know, he's only one of three Red Sox players to have 100 home runs and 100 steals in his Red Sox career. I say you put him in. I mean, it's not so much about the statistical category, but you got to look at what he did on the field. And what he did on the field in terms of maybe saving runs, turning double plays, I mean, come on. You can't tell me he doesn't belong in Cooperstown. I think he does. Maybe not a first ballot, but maybe in the second or third year, voters will start to come around and understand how special of a player Pajoria was. And I honestly think that he's going to be a coach sometimes in the future, maybe a manager. But he did say in the press conference he's going to take a couple of years. He's going to wait till his kids move out of the house, start to get their own life. But, I mean, he's a tremendous leader in that clubhouse. It would be surprising to me if he never becomes a manager or any kind of coach. But we salute Dustin Pedroia on an incredible career with the Boston Red Sox. And... He was part of a lot of great teams that had tremendous roles. And another team that's on a tremendous role right now is the Bruins. I mean, what a game last night in Philadelphia. I honestly think they just blew it in that second peri- second and third period. That first half of the third period, I should say. I mean, they were up one nothing. 12 seconds into the game, Pasta scoring that goal. And then the Flyers come back, take the... 3-1 advantage. Then it goes 3-2. Then it's 3-3. 12 seconds to go. They get the 6-on-4. And then Bergeron wins it in overtime with the power play goal. I really do think that it was just more about the Flyers making mistakes and the Bruins able to capitalize on that. So it was great to watch, but I'm not fully set in stone just yet. I know it's early and they look good, but I mean, it's just good to see Pasternak back in the lineup. It looks like him getting back on the ice has rejuvenated the team picking up that hat trick last night and forming this big three, which what they call, the I believe it's called the dream line with him, Bergeron, and Marchand. I think they look good. I think they really do look good. But I just think the team has these lulls now and again, especially in the second and at the beginning of third periods where they just kind of take their foot off the gas and they don't really hammer home the point. I think that's what they got to do. They got to start doing that more consistency. I mean, they couldn't clear the puck, and they were turning over the puck in the worst 
possible end of the ice, which is your own offensive, your own defensive end. And they just lost focus. Now, they did get bailed out by Bergeron's game winner and the Flyers making a ton of mistake, but you got to keep going. You got to win in regulation. You can't be forcing these to overtimes and shootouts. I mean, you got to put the hammer home. You got to win in regulation. And I know a win is a win, it'll get you two points, but think about the amount of teams you're keeping their hopes alive by giving them one point or giving them two points. You got to win in regulation. And it's going to be tough for the Bruins because they are rolling and they had their two games against Buffalo postponed, so you don't want to see them stopping any kind of action. But I just think, I think as good as this team looks, I think there's still room for improvement. Still room for improvement, especially on the defensive end. Like they were saying last night, a lot of young defenders, only Kevin Miller is the only veteran at 33 years old. I think Coyle, Carlo, a lot of these guys, they're young and they'll start to get the experience. But I do have a lot more confidence in the Bruins than I did at the beginning of the year. They still need some things to work on, but I like the position that they're in. Now, another team that isn't in a great position is the Celtics. Now, they're currently on the West Coast right now. They just finished off playing the Sacramento Kings. But I want to go back to last Saturday when I talked about uh, their matchup against the Lakers. And I said that this team should be encouraged if they can keep it close and they can stay competitive. And not only that, but they had a Daniel Tice putback away from beating the defending champions. I mean, I think no matter what, they should be encouraged by taking it to the limit with the Lakers. I mean, they held them under 100 points. They only gave them 96 to a team that has LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Marcus Gasol, Dennis Schroeder, you name it, all of the offensive weapons that they have. They held them to 96. 96. So I think you should be really encouraged by that. What you shouldn't be encouraged, though, by is that game last night against the Sacramento Kings. I mean, they just have a ton. It just seems like over the past number of weeks, they've been having a ton of defensive lapses. ton of lapses where they're just allowing whoever it is to get back into the game. We saw it a couple weeks ago against the Spurs, last night against Sacramento. I mean, they just need to learn how to play a full 48 minutes. Because we saw them make the comeback, they had the lead, and then they just let De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton just go nuts on the offensive end. And I just think the Celtics, I know they didn't have Kemba Walker or Marcus Smart, I know they don't have the pieces, but they just gotta learn to play a full 48 minutes. They can't have any defensive lapses. Because they had one at the end of, I want to say it was the third quarter, where... It was basically a prayer sent up by Buddy Heald, and then I forget who it was that had the putback, but they just stood there and let the ball hit off the backboard. Meanwhile, Sacramento gets a two extra points heading into the fourth quarter. You can't have that, especially with the games coming up they've got. You know, traveling to Los Angeles to face the Clippers, then to Phoenix, and then to Utah. You can't do it against those three teams. But I think they're still in a good position considering that they're not at full strength. You know, they still have to get Marcus Smart back. They got to get Peyton Pritchard back. I think once we see this team at full strength, they're going to be a tough team to beat with. But all they got to do 
is survive the West Coast so they can come on home and continue their hot run in the Eastern Conference. So now to wrap up our show, it's our return to the LOL head scratcher moment of the week. We took a week off last week to talk a little bit of Supercross, but we are back to look at the guys and girls who maybe said or did some things that make you scratch your head and have a little chuckle at it. So for this week, the head scratcher LOL moment of the week goes to Isaiah Thomas. Now, just to clarify, this isn't bad boys Isaiah Thomas. This is 5'9 Isaiah Thomas. Current Isaiah Thomas. I-S-A-I-A-H. That Isaiah. And he had some comments a few days ago that talked about really a lack of defense in the NBA. He sent out a tweet after the Brooklyn Nets win over the Clippers. 121 to 119 and Isaiah Thomas said and quote who plays defense in the NBA nobody you can't with how the game is called it's an offensive game now the first reaction I would say is IT you're exactly right you are exactly right I mean look at the numbers offensively in this league the league points per game average has increased each of the last 10 seasons okay and just just think of the numbers like this in terms of defense in the 2012-2013 campaign the leading defense in opponents points per game were the Memphis Grizzlies who allowed just over 89 in this season so far the leading opponents points per game is the Lakers who are allowing 104 per game. 104 compared to 89 almost eight years ago. Eight years ago. Now, I will say that it's the three-pointer that's really changed things in terms of offense and that basically everyone shoots the three-pointer now. If you don't have a three-point shot, then you're basically not going to be in the league anymore, and I understand that. But at the same time... It's like you'd think there'd be some kind of effort going into these defenses. And I firmly believe that Steph Curry and James Harden, they're they're at the center of this because those guys barely play any defense and they rely on their offensive talent and their team's offensive production to win them games. And in Steph Curry's mind, or in Steph Curry's case, win championships. But, I mean, even, like, the All-Star game. Remember when the All-Star game was fun to watch? Because guys actually put some effort into it. I mean, since 2014, there have been over 300 points total from both the East and West, or whoever's team it is, in six of the last seven All-Star games. I understand, like, it's an exhibition and a fun little thing. But at least try at least understand that you're in a business of entertainment. Okay? You're in an entertainment league. 
And while you can be fun, the All-Star Game, it's a privilege. It's a luxury. Okay? You've played well enough to earn a chance to play with and against the league's best. So you can't just walk into that weekend and say, oh, let's have fun. I'm not even going to play. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I love the old NBA better before things changed in 2014. I liked it where there weren't fouls called every minute and guys weren't complaining left and right about getting fouled. I mean, I understand the guys in this league today are more skilled and athletic. They can shoot the ball. They can run faster. They're stronger. But still, like, you got to have the Kobe Bryant mindset of competing every single time, no matter what game it is. If it's an all-star game or if it's a regular season game, a postseason game, you got to have that mindset. And I'm someone who firmly believes that defense will still win championships. We'll find that out in the postseason that you'll still see the big defensive plays be that X factor. I mean, look at Bam Adebayo against the Celtics. Look at LeBron James versus the Warriors back in 2016, that infamous block. And I ultimately do think defense will reign supreme when it comes down to postseason play. But in the regular season, it's just it's just not fun to watch score and score and score. You, I'm someone who loves to see some good defensive plays, a block at the rim. I'd love to see the one-on-one isolation, you know, where you're really going to have to work to break a guy's ankle. You really are. I mean, look at look at what happened a couple weeks ago with Damian Lillard and Russell Westbrook. I mean, they both got six points in less than seven seconds. Seven seconds. And that was, I understand it's great talent, but that's just being careless and not really caring on the defensive end. I mean, I know you're trying to contest, but just defense is not the way it was back then it's just not the way it was now the other part of me also says Isaiah Thomas you're 5'9 and your lack of defense maybe it might not be the right guy saying it I mean you might have a guy like a Tim Duncan or a Bill Russell or a Shaq or a Charles Barkley you know if they say something about defense then maybe more people would listen but IT, you're only 5'9", and you're criticizing defense. Have you looked in the mirror at your defense? Okay? I understand it's not your fault because you're 5'9", but come on. You can't be telling me about defense. And it could just be frustration that he feels like he should be in the league, and I think he should be in the league. I think he should be playing for a team. He should be getting some significant bench minutes. But also, probably you're not the right person to be talking about defense. All right, because you're a, you're a scorer, you're a shooter, you're a great playmaker, you're not a defender. So maybe just back up a little bit on defense and making those comments, and maybe just just take this award for being this week's head scratcher. LOL, moment of the week. So that will wrap up another edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you very much for watching and for listening. And remember, if you've got something you got to get off your chest, just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak. <laughs>